0: The following is a conversation between Jacqueline Bouvier-Copeland, the founder and CEO of the Wise Fund, and Denver Frederick, the host of The Business of Giving. Dr. Jackie Bouvier-Copeland is a scholar activist, environmentalist, and technologist devoted to making the world a better place. She has launched a number of social movements, from Black Philanthropy Month to, most recently, the Wise Fund, Women Invested to Save Earth, where she serves as CEO and she is with us now. Welcome to the Business of Giving, Jackie.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Denver. I'm happy to be here.
0: You have a deep (laughs) interest in understanding people's history and culture, went on to study anthropology. Where did you develop your curiosity for that?
1: Interesting question, and I'll give you, I know we have a limited time, but I grew up in my own version of a multicultural environment. Although in my early years, my community was largely Black, I went to a very diverse high school, and also I grew up in a very Pentecostal household.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: However, I went to Catholic schools, and so every day in elementary school and even part of high school, I was kind of navigating the different worldviews of those religions. I didn't know that I was probably practicing anthropology then. I had to learn and understand the culture and the practices of my household as an institution and the school and figure out how to be successful in both. As a kid, we didn't have a lot of money in my family for entertainment, like going to movies and so on. But we told stories. A lot of those stories were just oral histories from the old South on my mother's side. They're from South Carolina with Gullah Geechee roots. And so was captivated by those, of voraciously read science fiction and fantasy and always imagined myself asking the question, what would it have been like to live in a different period of history or travel to other places. I used to go downtown Philly and watch people and write stories. And so fast forward to college, I discovered this field called anthropology, cultural anthropology in particular, which allowed me to pursue answers to a lot of my questions about what made people, history and culture tick, how to build community, and deliberately create a certain future for a community. Questions about why, you know, how is it? In Philadelphia, it was clear when factories started closing and you could see in neighborhoods men losing jobs, families breaking up, and that had really left an indelible impression on me. The question was how can these forces, I can't even see, control what happens to the lives of so many people and so that's the shorthand version of why for me I'm a student of history and culture in humanity and the planet.
0: Yeah and from the very outset you were a keen observer you were taking it all in and it is amazing the powerful combination of this cultural wisdom with contemporary technologies, which you use to promote social and economic and environmental justice. And you don't see that combination much, do you, Jackie?
1: Well, I don't think so. I early on kind of figured out what I wanted to do, but at least by the time I had the good fortune of studying in Nigeria in an exchange program. And when I came back, I had a new sense of clarity that I wanted to work across the world doing all I could to make people's lives better. I didn't know how I was gonna do it at the time, but I was fortunate because when I was in graduate school at University of Pennsylvania, the Wharton School had a think tank that did program design, research, and evaluations for foundations across the country. And I worked with them maybe eight years to support my family while I was in graduate school and I had the opportunity to work with all these foundations across the country and the world. And this combination really trying to understand people on their own terms and respecting their lived experience, the cultural wisdom of all people, realizing that no one group or institution has all the answers.
0: Mm-hmm. And that
1: the solution will come from active listening and weaving together and building on what's good in all of us into more effective and innovative solutions really underpins everything I do
0: yeah it's the heart of your work no doubt about it well I think you have said that you've been trying to disrupt the world for several decades now and the best I can count just in the last 10 years you have contributed to the development of four such disruptions or movements and are still leading two of them so let's touch on each starting with Black Philanthropy Month which was held in August and is an initiative you started back in 2011. What was noteworthy about this year's event, Jackie?
1: I think what was noteworthy, I mean, to back up a little bit, last year, I had the good fortune of working in Australia. It was my first visit there. And really, it was a transformative visit. I had to do a speech. But as I typically do when I go to a new place, I go out early and just try and Visit places of importance into that particular society and meet people. Get a little sense of how they tick from the inside out.
0: Gotcha.
1: met a lot of different Australians, including Aboriginal people, and visited the world's oldest continuous rainforest called Karanda, which I didn't even know was in Australia, and the Great Barrier Reef and just was struck by the beauty and the environmental degradation of these two places and what it said for the fate of the world if we don't get a handle on global warming it also kind of took me back to my youth where growing up in philly poor people and people of color tend to live in the most polluted areas wherever you go in the world and i just I was haunted by it. I felt I had to do something more to address global warming. And so I had the sense that I wanted to, this Black Philanthropy Month, that there were just a whole range of systems breakdowns, Indigenous, Latino, and African American people, in addition to having to deal with these histories of discrimination, have these histories of environmental racism. And so I wanted Black Philanthropy Month this year to really be more than a celebration, but to look at proactively what could we do to address the mega forces shaping our future and the future of our country and the world. Mm-hmm. And then since living in Silicon Valley for the past 14 years, it's become evident to me that the disparities that we see in funding are not only in philanthropy, but they're in venture funding and social Absolutely. investment. And so the big aha for me was Black Philanthropy Month needs to move beyond just philanthropy and look at funding. And then COVID happened. Mm-hmm. And then I'll just say the public viewing of our everyday experience, unfortunately, of oppression by the police, George Floyd in particular happened. And so Black Philanthropy Month became a series of summits asking the question, how can we promote cross sector Funding equity for Black or African descent people, moving beyond philanthropy to also include funding of our businesses. And then how should we fund in such a way that we will accelerate and scale the rebuilding that needs to happen post-COVID? With 46% and growing, small to medium-sized Black businesses closing, a third of all COVID deaths being Black in the U.S. Incredible statistics. Yeah, and an escalating 20% unemployment rate. There really needs to be some kind of Marshall plan because America can't be well, and actually the planet can't be well. If we have significant numbers of people, actually Black and others, who will likely, I guess, backtrack 20 to 30 years in terms of just social and economic progress because of this pandemic and what I call the COVID recession. And then for our community, you add On top of it, the legacy of laws and practices that are tantamount to a racial caste system that allow the Jackie Copeland's of the world to rise to the top, but still don't provide enough equal opportunity. And the thing that bothers me as well is that the way that the global economy is going And I think at the backdrop of a lot of our divisive politics is a lot of Americans are finding it really difficult to survive. And now they've lost their jobs. Now people who never thought that they needed to be in the lines of soup kitchens or food pantries, et cetera. I hope the rest of the country is as alarmed as I am. I feel an absolute sense of emergency urgency the black philanthropy month is about to publish about 12 principles
0: yeah, the new called, black funding principles which are great yeah
1: they're, they're global and mm-hmm. the idea is to issue these with some fanfare so that corporations philanthropies individual people venture capitalists can apply these principles to improve the level of their funding, but also the impact of their funding so that we're using this period of crisis to rebuild and actually come out better as a people, as a country, as a society, and a world.
0: Let me know when they're out and I'll be sure to promote them. That is wonderful. You know, a second movement and this would be one of your more recent initiatives, is the WISE Fund, and as we mentioned before, Women Invested to Save Earth. How was that idea born? And tell us more about the mission of the organization.
1: Well, it was born out of that really transformative experience I had in Australia last year. And after my visit, no more than a week later, after returning home, it seemed like the entire continent of Australia was on fire. And it really just hastens my thinking about what I could do. I felt such a sense of obligation, in part because I'm a California transplant as well. And one of the things I've had to get used to, especially the past five to seven years, is the increasing frequency and ferocity of these fires, these wildfires. I'm a very probably to a fault, empathetic person, and just living with the smoke, the concerns you have, you have a different perspective once that's part of your reality.
0: I can believe that.
1: And you have to figure out how to protect your family and everything about your lifestyle changes on top of all of the craziness that just happens in life in general. Right. And, and so this was worrying me to the point where I just could not sleep especially through those Australian fires and then COVID happened. And actually, I kept asking myself, well, what can I do? So at the end of the day, when my 30-year-old daughter, and hopefully I get some grands out of it, (laughs) (laughs) i know the feeling (laughs) grandma you've been an advocate for a long time what did you do during this period when it seemed like the world was falling apart and the answer honestly it sounds new agey i'm not a new agey person but it came to me in a dream that women could invest to save the earth because in my work every place I go I meet these women from all walks of life who have brilliant ideas but they can't get funding for them women only and this is almost in every country only get about two percent of the venture funding
0: including our country
1: yep and then if you go to the marginalized Demographics, like in Australia, Aboriginal women technologists or in the U.S., Black, Latino women technologists, they get less than 1% Mm -hmm. in the U.S. with Black women and Native American being the absolute lowest, but all of us suffering.
0: And And women are also on the front lines of this environmental crisis. Um, I mean, we're the ones who walk six hours a day and go get the water.
1: Right. And one of my key social change principles is that the people suffering the challenges the most need to have an equal opportunity to solve those problems. And if they do, then everybody wins. And so that was the birth of the idea for the Women Invested to Save Earth Funds. And in fact, I quickly put it together because I wanted to launch it on March 13th, which With the was at the UN Commission on Women. And it ended up being canceled when the COVID shelter in place started. I still did it virtually online and then fast forwarding really quickly as COVID and the new racial justice movement in the wake of the Ahmaud Arbery's, Breonna Taylor's, and George Floyd's emerged. I decided to focus on this full-time. I All these years, starting with Black Philanthropy Month, I have been working full-time, and then as a volunteer, devoting myself to Black Philanthropy Month. But this is just such an inflection Point a crisis point I want to f- focus full time on the WISE Fund which is now the backbone organization for Black Philanthropy Month mm-hmm. and uh, so that's the backstory and how it is that I am doing this yeah. today yeah. now and I'm really delighted I think we can make a difference with others at a time when we all need to do more i'm always asking myself
0: if i'm doing
1: enough and if i'm having as much impact as i could
0: that's a good question to always ask yourself as an outsider i say you are but sometimes you always do need to have that assessment to see whether you can use your time better because that's what it really gets down to and i've always felt that it's an ethical choice sometimes how you use your time are you doing the maximum sustainable good with it And I think the fact that you check in like that is just great. A third thing that you're working on is advancing diversity in the technology field. And you're trying to do that worldwide. And boy, that is by no means easy. What's going on. What's happening with 50, 50 women's tech industry.
1: Well, that's interesting. I had the pleasure of being the first COO at a 25 year old organization that advocates for women in technology called the Anita Borg Institute for Women in Technology, anitab.org. Started there in 2018, ended my tenure there to work full-time for the WISE Fund at the end of July. Really fascinating perch from which to understand some of the dynamics of the technology field inside out. I mean, I always say, here are some of the most brilliant people and companies on the planet and they can't figure out how to hire and retain women
0: Mm -hmm.
1: or people of color right and they work in these very diverse markets and in fact The cultures of those markets are so critical to innovation. I have anthropology colleagues, and I used to do a bit of this myself, who specialize in designing tech products. I have a colleague who's an anthropologist. She figured out all of the icons for the Apple iPhone. How do you come up with icons that will make sense across the world in different cultures and languages, right? And so, from one level, you would think it just be in business self interest to have the markets that you sell in represented in your company.
0: That does seem to make common sense, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. Even if you don't care about diversity as a moral or imperative or just a civic responsibility. Kind of like smart business. Yeah, but that's not true. And there's not a pipeline problem because anitab.org convenes the largest conference of technical women every year where they bring anywhere about 30,000 women from 80 countries together and have a huge hiring fair and sort of brings the pipeline to companies to say there's not a pipeline Look at all of these women, many of them with technical degrees, wanting to be hired. And so the big question is how there are many companies that are serious about it, but they have the same challenges that American society has overall with sexism, racism, the other isms, and it's not unique to the US. So one of the things, the founder, Anita Borg, who was a brilliant computer scientist, one of her visions was 50-50 equity between technical men and women by 2020. And that obviously wasn't going to happen. And when I arrived, I was responsible for helping the CEO and the board with strategy. And so my idea was, well, there have been some strides. We have some countries that are, at least in terms of representation, women are 30% of the tech workforce. We worked mostly with Fortune 500 companies to develop strategies with them to turn, at least in terms of representation, at 30% into 50%, which also meant you had to work on retention because sometimes these companies are like revolving doors. Women get in and they don't get equal opportunity for promotion or they're not paid equitably and they leave.
0: And so retention's a big piece of it. It's just not hiring. You have to create the environment right. where everybody feels that they belong. Right. And
1: actively include. And that's right. And belonging is key. And so anyway, we were making great strides and then COVID hit. And still that's being worked out. But I do think we made some progress in proving that a concerted effort that is actually evaluated with clear targets and goals that we are on the verge of perhaps being able to accelerate the progress towards equity. The danger now is that with COVID and the disruption in the economy, many companies may feel that they don't have the institutional energy or fortitude or resources to actually shift their culture and their practices.
0: Right, and I think other companies will find it to be a convenient excuse.
1: Yes, and but I do think those companies that continue to focus on it and make progress will find that they're more resilient and successful. And so that effort continues, but it also continues with the WISE Fund. A lot of what I'm trying to do with the WISE Fund is its mission is to identify grassroots women who are using technology and other strategies to address global warming and the degradation of our natural environment in general. And we have found some really amazing organizations that we are funding and supporting. And in fact, we'll do our first funding round this month. And the WISE Fund is trying to do both philanthropy and social investment and essentially create a new model that proves to the world that innovation can come from the most unlikely places, that black and indigenous women are innovators and have a strong desire and tools that can also help save the planet and remain accessible and affordable to those people who need it most. The WISE Fund is focused on low-income, environmentally stressed communities in Africa, Australia, Brazil, and the U.S. So I'm really excited about our first funding round. We have a women's network that used to be called the Pan-African Women's Philanthropy Network, and we now call it ReUnity And ReUnity is doing a series of leadership, coaching, and wellness events for women who are doing a lot of the intimate care for children and elders during this time of COVID, while also being economically dislocated in many instances, so high-stress time. So we're doing what we can to get support out there and to hopefully stabilize some key innovators so they can continue their work and their progress even during this period of COVID.
0: Fantastic. Well, Jackie, if you ever wonder, let me, I'll let you know, you are absolutely doing plenty, doing more than enough. And I love that blended funding model. You know, what is the key? to starting and scaling one of these movements, the three we just talked about, and there's others we haven't even gotten around to, but how do you successfully execute and get others to adopt the principles that you're promoting? Oh, that's interesting.
1: I think I've been lucky and blessed. Well, that's... A- <laughs> so I would have recognized that. I really believe in everything I do. One of the concepts that's influenced me is I've spent a lot of time learning in Nigeria and a large ethnic group there is called the Yoruba. And they have this notion that words are actually energy and a form of power. You need to be really careful about what you say and how you say it. Because a word is an action. I love that. And so I do a lot of thinking, ideating on my own. When I see a challenge in the world, sometimes it's reflected in my own personal lived experience. And what I'm told and what I, people know I really believe in what I do. And that I give it everything I have. And consider it, I know that's why I'm on the planet to serve.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I think sometimes philanthropy and the nonprofit sector is a little, how can I say this, detached from our reason for being, and it all becomes about the money. And don't yeah. get me wrong, I'm really good at the business of giving, but money is a tool. Mm -hmm. of social and environmental good. It's not the reason I do this. It's not the reason I don't think any of us should do this. And so I think that authenticity probably attracts other like-minded people. I think another principle is that I know it's not just about me. I know I have a leadership role, but part of my role as a leader is to uplift others. And to give them support. And my lesson learned and having tried to do that very seriously for decades is when I need help, it emerges. Because there is somebody who I helped 30 years ago who seems like suddenly appear. And so there is sort of this, I don't know, it's the karma of giving, right? You keep doing it enough, it creates like its own historical... Arc it's like a source of energy it's that, circular
0: in very many ways
1: yeah it attracts more yeah. and more people and then those people attract more people i have a clarity of vision right now more so than at any point in my life because i see a lot of the challenges that i have been concerned about unfortunately converging and manifesting themselves in COVID, in the racial uprisings, in the wildfires and the environmental challenges that we see. So there is this, what Martin Luther King, this fierce urgency of now Mm -hmm. that I feel that I try to impart to other people that we together, it's like a butterfly effect if we are all trying these are daunting problems but if we decide that we're going to convert our energy around complaining and lamenting these problems and just do the best we can together or at least if not collaborating in some coordinated fashion to make a difference the planet will heal itself Mm
0: -hmm.
1: our societies can do better And so I think that ends up also exuding a level of hope with informed pragmatism that helps us all believe that what we do or don't do on any given day can make a difference for good or for bad. Also, because I've been a COO so many times in my career, you can have all the vision and the motivation and the hope, et cetera, you want, but if you don't know how to build organizations, teams, and infrastructure that's sustainable, then you can't have impact. And so just very attuned around even how technology can be used to build an organization and a movement in a way that keeps overhead low So that most of the resources can be devoted to direct activities associated with producing the social and environmental outcomes that are the target. So those are some of the key principles I work with, which I've learned over the years from screwing up. (laughs) and and trying so i'm older i'm wiser and i'm trying to bring it all together in the wise fund
0: yeah and with all the lessons you passed on and your commitment and focus to this work you still find time to do a little zumba and jazz vocal right
1: oh yeah you got to (laughs) keep your joy right because this is life is tough it's really bittersweet and this work is hard with no guarantees of success. So that's another life lesson that I think sometimes, I would say women, everybody, people who are servant leaders forget that they have to keep their joy and whatever that is. And yeah, so for me, being in nature, Zumba, singing, those are all part of it.
0: It's the same, that's for sure. Well, I want to thank you, Jackie, for being here today. Where can people learn more about this work, and particularly Black Philanthropy Month and the WISE Fund? Okay,
1: so there are two websites. One is thewisefund.org, and then blackphilanthropymonth.com. Between those two websites, you'll have contact information Uh, information about all of our events. And of course, follow us on social media, which we use very heavily. That's how we've been able to reach 17 million people with Black Mm -hmm. Land Month. And so we're on all of the major channels.
0: Fantastic. Well, it was a real delight to have you on the program, Jackie. I really enjoyed it.
1: It was good talking to you. Thanks for your interest and support.